Hello and welcome to the Camera Channel podcast with me, Michael Sanders. After a bit of a break, we're back and my guest on this episode is yet again Mitch Gross. Except this time Mitch is joining me as an employee of ProLight, a new entrant into the LED lighting market, who have recently released the Orion 300FS. In episode 3, I talked to Jeff Boyle about the shortcomings of LED lights, and this episode really picks up from the tail end of that one as we look at how manufacturers, and in particular ProLight, are solving those issues. Mitch, welcome back. Before we talk about how the Orion 300FS works, just recap for us why LEDs can cause so many headaches. Well, the basic issue is that we are used to two traditional emitters of light. And the first one's the sun. And the second one is something that doesn't burn quite as hot, which would be a quartz tungsten light bulb. What those both have in common is they're what are known as continuous light sources or black body emitters. What it means is that as energy is run through them, uh, that they spit out light across the entire color spectrum. Then we got into other technologies that created light in other ways. And they have not as good a range in the color temperatures. You have uh, what they're known as non-continuous light sources. Non-continuous, by the way, doesn't, isn't talking about flickering. It's talking about that range of color in the spectrum. It's got gaps in it. Or if it doesn't have a gap, it will be that instead of it running on a smooth kind of curve or a curve that might have little some divots in it, little trowels, and then some little peaks. Well, light-emitting diodes, LEDs, do this too. Most LEDs actually are a deep blue sapphire. And then what manufacturers will do for LEDs is that they will take a bunch of phosphorescent type of materials, these chemical dyes, and they'll put it on the LED emitter because when that blue light hits them, they will glow in other colors. And the difficulty is getting the mix of all that stuff right in order to get the full spectrum. At first it looks okay and then you put someone's face in front of it and that one frequency of green spiking out will suddenly cast them green or it might maybe they can correct for that pretty well and they can balance things out but if you have a problem with that part of the frequency and it drops out of the green suddenly you'll have a magenta cast. And well, look at the color of our skin tone. What is it really, really sensitive to? Well, so this is a problem with all non-continuous light sources and LEDs in particular uh, have it because by the nature of physically the way they're made, they're not a big sheet of light emitting diode material. It is these little itty bitty things. And what makes it even worse is that when we start looking at how different cameras respond to different lights as well, we're not just talking about the lights have got their peaks and troughs, but our cameras, especially our single chip bag sensor cameras, they've got their peaks and troughs and they're not necessarily aligned. Right. Now, first you have a camera sensor, which is just a, uh, it's a variable on off switch. Right? It just sees brightness. And then we put what's called a color filter array in front of it, a CFA. 
and the color filter array is red and green and blue. And then you're going to take that information and you're going to process it. And you're going to take it and turn it into all the colors of the rainbow based on whatever it's seeing as the strengths of red and the strengths of green and the strengths of blue. Silicon sensors are desperate for blue all the time. They love having blue. They, you know, they, they, they really want more of it, more of it. If you don't give them a lot of blue, then they get noisy and such because they're weak in that channel. And so uh, you start borrowing information from green in order to fill out the blue. This is the processing stuff that goes on. And then red can quickly uh, build up noise if the, the frequency is off by a little bit. And so you start you know, cheating other things in there. And suddenly you start mucking it up a little bit in various ways, which you need to do. But you do that to optimize your camera's performance. And every manufacturer is going to do it a little bit different. And they're going to do it based on their opinion of what they think works best for their electronics and their circuitry, but also what they think looks best. I mean, just simple as that. Well, if you now have a non-continuous light source, the interplay between this decision that was made at this particular lighting manufacturer and the decisions that were made at this particular camera manufacturer, when they start interacting, strange things can happen. And where something looks great on brand X of uh, light mixed with brand Y of camera, You'd go and you have another brand of camera looks at the exact same light and suddenly it doesn't look quite right. Suddenly the, the skin tone is a little bit off or uh, that white wall behind them has a bit of a cyan tinge to it or whatever. There's a, interactions that begin happening between the two spectrums that are not completely accurate. So just briefly run through the other ways that they've tried to solve the problem and why they're not so good and then lead us into how ProLight have solved the problem and why that is so much better. Okay, so when I talked before about an LED emitter, I was talking about what would be called a white LED, right? You, it's like, here's one LED and we're gonna put a bunch of phosphor colors and such on whatever on it to just emit the full spectrum of light. And we're going to either set it to be a warm white, which would be a 3200 degree one, or a cool white, which is a 5600 degree one. And we're going to try and do everything with that one LED, the whole spectrum of light. Well, it's asking a lot from that particular LED. But let's say we do that. So a monocolor LED, whether it's a single bulb, a single, a single emitter, actually, uh, or a panel of them, or what's called a cob chip on board, which is basically a big disc that has packed with a bunch of LEDs on it. If it's a single color, a mono color, then it's a bunch of individual LEDs that do the whole spectrum in that color temperature. And if you have more than one individual LED, if you have a whole bunch, an array of them, then there's always tolerance issues. Here's your standard, and then, you know, this one's a little bit this way, this one's a little bit that way. So it's just a very hard process to get super, super accurate uh, LED emitters and, and, you know, and be able to get your light to give out the color that you want it to give, you know, for the spectrum. Okay, fine. But that, that's a monocolor, and it can be warm or it can be cool. Now we're talking about the, the bicolor light, and the bicolor light had both LEDs on them. They had warm white LED and they had a cool white LED 
and then you could dial between them and you had you know a whole set of them you know half of them be on at one time half be on the other the problem is when you start dialing between now you can really start to see interesting problems in fact there's this thing to get really nerdy on you there's this chart it's called the CIE 1931 because that's the institute that named it and it was developed in 1931 originally and this is something that we've all seen before that it's a it's the color standards chart and it's the visible light spectrum it's sort of shaped like a kidney bean kind of bulbous shape and it's an attempt on a two-dimensional surface to represent the three-dimensional blob that is the color spectrum because it's not just a line from red to through green to blue it's a it's actually a three-dimensional thing of you know of all the colors and such and as you get to the outer edges of it it's more saturation on individual parts of the color spectrum and when you get to the center of it that's when you're getting to your different types of white and then there's a curved line within that which is what's referred to as your black body curve along it is 3200 and 5600 but it actually, you know, it extends way, way down to when you have a dim candle burning and you can go to a supernova, which is super, super bright and, you know, 20,000, 50,000, whatever. Well, if you have your 3200 degree and your 5600 degree LEDs and you just dial between them, what's happening is that that's not traveling on a curve. That's a straight line between two points. What's going to happen when you travel a straight line between two points? Well, within this great space, remember I said that as you go in one direction, it's going to get uh, more saturated towards one color and you know, desaturated towards, from another color and stuff. Well, invariably, because of the shape of that curve, it's going to affect, again, your green magenta. That's the part of the curve that it's going to shift away from. And usually, I find usually drift into magenta. So a light might look great at 32 and it might look great at 56. And even to your eye, as you go between them, you might not see any great shift. But again, that's your brain processing really fast. Well, you got a camera. It's trying to adjust based on the reality of what it is, not our brain processing and figuring, well, what's supposed to really be here and you know, kind of making it, uh, allowances for it. And so the image can start shifting purple when you try to go to you know 4500 degree or something inside there suddenly it's off somehow and it's like well that light looked pretty good at 32 it looked pretty good at 56 doesn't look right in the somewhere in between here and that's because of these weird things that are happening between these leds and it not following your black body curve okay how can i adjust for this what can we do so next became came the idea of let's add to these white LEDs, the red, green, and blue LEDs. These red, green, and blue LEDs are only going to have to work for a certain section of the whole spectrum. And so we can make them much more accurate. We're not trying to get them to represent all the different colors of the rainbow and everything. We're just gonna try and get the color dyes and the phosphors and such all to work very effectively within this part of the range. It's a lot easier a job because there, you, you can be much more precise with it. You're only trying to cover this part as opposed to all of that part. So you can really fine tune 
your phosphors much more accurately. The problem though is that you're taking those red, greens, and blues and they're effectively supplementing this white. So you have an RGBW, which is red, green, blue, and then a white LED. And that could be a warm white or it could be a cool white. Well, you still have the problem of that white LED and it's still only going to be as accurate as it ever was in a monocolor. And when you fine tune your red, greens, and blues, basically what you're going to do to adjust color is you're going to turn your red up more, turn your red down more, turn your green up more, turn your green down more. So you only have three points that you're adjusting along this line. And so you only have so much accuracy that you can to make that curve of that line, you know, how much you can adjust it. Cause you just have three points that you're pushing and pulling on. Okay. What about RGB WW? You have a cool white and a warm white, and then you have red, green, and blue. Well, now you've got five different LEDs, but two of them are still the same problem of a bicolor LED, right? It's still, they're still white and they're still like giving you all the, you know, the colors in the spectrum. And it's just, blasting out over top of everything and then you're trying to tweak parts of that of the range with the red the green and the blue but you have the problems inherent in the warm white and the cool white so let's look at a different way of solving this problem which is don't use any white leds don't use them at all instead what we have at prolight is the hyperlight color engine which starts with our led emitters and then goes into the way we process the colors. So our cob has red, green, blue, and then we have amber, cyan, and lime. What we found is that with six different colors, that starts getting to the limit, not only of our eyes, but also of the camera sensors about where, the, where gaps might be felt and where differences might be felt. So now we are covering every part of the spectrum we are doing it very efficiently and very effectively with each of these color emitters, right? They're, they're, so they're very accurate and they don't have a bunch of weird dips and missing elements and such into them within that part of the spectrum that they're actually built for because they're just very precise in that color range. And there are six of them that we can interact together. Now, of course, ARCOB doesn't have just six LEDs on there. We have a lot of LEDs. In fact, I believe it's uh, six of each color. So that would be 36 different individual LEDs that are on the cob that's in the Orion 300FS. When you have six different LEDs or six different LED channels, uh, each one is only doing a certain part of the color spectrum. Then we can do it far more accurately. We can really get into uh, you know, the color mix of the phosphorescent materials and such that are on each LED so that it's extremely accurate within that part of the range. So that's one part of it is that within each part of the spectrum range, it's extremely accurate. The other part is that when you're using individual LEDs for doing the parts of the range, now you have six different points along a line to adjust the shape of that line, right? The shape of the curve if you will, that is your representation of the color spectrum. Well, in say an RGBW uh, fixture, 
that it, you have three points, red, green, and blue, and then you have a white LED that's just there to sort of fill in everything. And when it, you're filling it in, it's just white light. It's actually, it's filling in the parts that you didn't quite have filled in, but it's also filling in the parts you did, you know? So it's like just a big white bleaching out almost of all the parts of the spectrum. So what that does is that it reduces your color saturation because saturation is sort of the opposite, if you will, of white light. Well, we can oppose that. We can say, you know what, I'm just gonna go and send a lot of this range of red and then I can take my blues and my greens and I can dial them down and I can do it far more precisely because I have six separate LED emitters that I can then control that parts of the spectrum and such and I don't have anything that's a white LED that's just going to be blasting all over the color spectra. So even when we do an extremely saturated uh, blast of color in a certain part of the range, we can then still have a little bit of tweaking with our other colors so that we can get amazingly really good skin tones if we want to remain within a certain you know on the cct line if we want to remain in a black body curve or we can say you know the heck with that we don't want to be anything that has normal kind of colors we don't want to be anywhere where we're representing all the colors of the rainbow i just really want to hit that extreme blue or whatever it might be that i want to get super saturated along that line i remove other parts of the rainbow because I have my individual color controls and now I'm going just in that direction far more accurately than I could ever do with uh, the rougher controls of having basically few, a lot of white light and fewer uh, more direct controls of certain parts of the spectrum. So you've got this control of the individual channels. How do you go about keeping the light accurate when you are presumably subject to the same manufacturing issues as every other LED manufacturer? There's always manufacturing tolerances. Well, a lot of systems just say, oh, you know, it's, it's fell in the range, or whatever. We don't do that. We actually measure the actual output of each of these LEDs, and we then calibrate to that. So we'll, we'll pick and choose, say, our lime LEDs. And if we've got six of them, some will have a little bit more strength than this part of that, the, the lime range of color frequencies. And we'll then match that with another one that has a little strength in another area and such. And so we sort of even them out just as a sort of a matching out of them. But then we actually have a, an active calibration system that happens every time that the light switches on. So when you first turn on uh, of the Orion 300FS, it, you, you see it kind of cascades its way through the rainbow. It, it, you see it, it goes through all the different colors. And what that's doing is actually testing the flow, the output of each of our LEDs in the system, in the different colors, and seeing that they're actually responding and, and outputting the way that they had originally been designed to and you know where we had measured them before and what they're doing now. And so it's an active calibration so that every single time you turn it on, it's like, oh, well, you know, over time, maybe something happened. We're going to go and adjust a little bit here so that it maintains accuracy. One, when it's first designed, extremely accurate color. But then over time, the light constantly is checking itself to make sure it's still accurate in color. 
it's really interesting you talk about calibration because the first thing we all do when a new light comes out is look at the numbers. We look at the SSI or the CRI, but it's really important to understand how relevant those numbers are when we talk about non-continuous sources like LEDs. When we were using black body devices like fire and burning quartz uh, filaments and such, uh, it was kind of easy, if you will, because those were, those were black body sources and they were giving the full range of the color spectrum. It was just weighted in one direction or another. The problem came in the 1930s, 1940s, when I believe it was first fluorescent lights that we were, I mean, they were sodium lights and other things that existed. But we, when we started trying to use lights that were non-continuous sources, and then these sources now did not give us full representation of all the colors of the rainbow, and we had certain frequencies that would be really, really too bright, and other frequencies that would have little spikes in it or just drop out and just not be accurate color. Well, all right, well, so we had to have measurements, had to have some standards that we would create to say, like, well, you know, what is proper and what is accurate, and how do we measure these things? And there are several different systems that have been developed over the years. Uh, in fact, so, you know, we're there's constant work being done in this and there, you know, people, have, many people have heard of CRI, Color Rendering Index, but the problem is that CRI is this really rough number and it's no longer accurate for, with non-continuous sources and it's just, it's, you know, it, but it's an easy number. Oh, this one has a CRI of 80, that's not very good. This one has a CRI of 90, that's much better. But you could have, you know, two different lights, with, or you have five different lights of the CRI of 95, and you would look at what they look like on someone's face, and they'd be wildly different because you have all these parts of the color spectrum, and CRI is just giving a general averaged out number for the whole thing. It's like, well, I, what happens to this part, and what happens to that part of the spectrum? And you can give a scale rating of each little individual part. It, it can't be represented in such a simple number. So do you think we as DPs and gaffers or whatever, do we obsess too much about numbers like TCLI and CRI and TM30 and SSI? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we do in that um, because they become a crutch. I, I just said before, CRI is a totally antiquated system. But if you have a light and you know that that is a CRI of 75, forget it. It's so far out, it's no good at all. So that, it's an easy way to sort of have minimum cutoff kind of things and then toss those things away. The real problem is when we want to evaluate uh, what these things look like on a very high end. And when you compare, again, uh, an SSI number that, you know, if one scored a 90 and another one scored a 90 or a 91, do they look the same or do they look comparable? Maybe not. They might look in the same kind of ballpark, but I can show you examples where like, you know, you have these numbers, they, these things all come in in high numbers. In fact, there are, I call it, you know, uh, studying for the test where you will have some lights that deliver really great scores They'll, they're designed to, all right, well, we're going to, they said you want to hit these numbers, so we're going to hit these numbers. And then therefore they end up oversaturating in certain areas and they do weird things. And so 
while they'll have a higher number than we might on a certain measurement, our light actually, when you look at the image, when you look at what you see, it actually uh, is a more accurate light. It, you know, I don't want to like criticize a certain kind of color meter saying like, oh, that's not right. It's, not, it's just that it's telling you the correct measures of what you're asking it to measure. It's just that what that measure represents, but that measurement is saying some number and it's like, well, what does that really mean? It's not giving you a full picture of uh, what it is that you need to see. The, and the way to, to really judge what you need to see is to look at it, is to look at what the light is doing. If you have a camera with you, that can, be, that can certainly be helpful, but so much of it is what the human eye sees. And you can look at what it does. We use a lot of co very complex tools and a lot of analysis, and we do divide it up into very, uh, very precise points in the rainbow. But uh, it, no gaffer and DP would ever be doing that because you'd never get any work done. You, you have to <laughs> have a certain point where it's like, all right, well, I need, to, I need to be able to rely on my tools. I need to be able to say this light is going to give me something that represents something fairly accurate in the way that I want it to. And then I can sort of move ahead and do my other work. So that's a long answer to your question of, do we rely on those numbers too much? And the answer is yes, we do. <laughs> but just to get back on track to talk about ProLight, um, the philosophy of calibration, of measurement, of accuracy, that all comes from your founder, doesn't it? So Dr. Anking Lee is, he's a color scientist. He actually is on the, the board that uh, developed that weird blob chart <laughs> that I'm talking about and something. What he was seeing in the photography world is that he knew what the targets were and he knew what the limitations were on the different types of technologies. And it was very frustrating that there was a sort of a dogma of a traditional approach that was happening. And so he founded ProLite uh, because, you know, it's like there is a better way to be approaching this, it's a, you know, kind of coming at it in a sideways uh, view where it's like, let's not try to do everything out of a single light source. That was the old way of thinking. And that was fine when you were a black body source that just put out all the light in the spectrum. Okay, you, know, you don't need one. But when you when it's really hard to do that, let's find another way of doing it. And so his philosophy is like, well, how do we reproduce the range of colors? And so that the ProLite was really to him a solution to what he saw as a, a mentality issue of the way that lighting uh, technology had been done. You've come in along with Dan Chung in the UK um, and you're bringing with it your photography video expertise and you've both been instrumental in developing the user interface side of things as much as, in, as much as anything else. I don't want to overtake credit for things that, you know, <laughs> the thing. I mean, what is important for one is that, you know, both Dan and I have, you know, actual experience. Uh, we, we, we bring in what the need is for like the way, what our industry cares about and what's useful and stuff, you know, what, what people like to see out of it. We know who to talk. We, we, we have some of the ideas because we were doing it, but we also know different people to talk to in order to try and say, all right, well, what, how do you take what is, you know, this light source, this light engine, the, the hyperlight color engine, as we call it, uh, which is the light source. And then all the, the microprocessor behind it, you know, that's tracking, calibrating actively and all that stuff. 
how do you take that and then turn it into a, a functional unit? It's not just a, some kind of science project. That is something that then uh, is useful as a tool. And of course, we're developing a Fresnel lens for it. You can focus thing. And there's other things that we are developing over time and such. But I like looking for interesting solutions to our common problems. And anything that helps me to do my work is a wonderful thing. And I think that philosophy really comes across when you turn the light on. The user interface is it's simple and it's easy to operate. You can work out very quickly what the controls do. Now, we've talked a lot about the color accuracy, but we should also mention the light output because for the light of its size, it is incredibly bright. With our standard reflector setting the light at 5,600 uh, degrees, and I picked that one because I just kind of know it off the top of my head, we're, we're just over 300 uh, foot candles. Ours is a more spotty light by design. If you take off the reflector, it's just a Bowen's mount, so you know, a bazillion different things you can stick on there, but it just pops right off. And you just take that off and you'll see the beam, it opens up a bit, but it doesn't open up a huge amount more. It's, you know, it's like the you know, reflector kind of concentrated a little bit, but even when you take it off, it's still a fairly directional light. And because of that, we are brighter than uh, some popular bicolor 300 watt LED cob lights because we are very effective in the way we project the beam out there. So we've talked about color and the accuracy of the color. We've talked about the output and how bright it is. What else does this kind of RGB ACL array allow you to do? You can fill something like 90 something percent of Rec 2020 just with the one light kind of thing, you can do that. But also you can take that black body curve that I was talking about and you're not limited to 32 to 56. We could go down to 2000 up to 20,000 on our range. And then we do have a little adjustment. Like if you're looking at it, like whether it's our light, which don't really think it is because it lights very ac accurate in the way it tracks the, that curve because it is tracking along the curve. If you find that there's a little green magenta shift thing happening, maybe because your individual camera is weird in the way it's trying to process these colors and such. So you can go and add or subtract a little green and magenta, uh, you know, shift that a little along that range. Or you can do what's called HSI mode, which is hue, saturation, uh, and intensity. And so uh, you can, it, it looks like when you go onto your computer and you're in Photoshop or whatever, and you have that ball of colors and you can choose anywhere in the rainbow, you know, in the center it's white and then you get to the edges, it's saturation. Well, it's the exact same thing, that's what we're doing. And so you can go choose anywhere along there that you want. You can, we have a little cursor, you can kind of use the, the controls to move it and just pick out the color you want. Or you can say, take the entire library of Lee and Roscoe gels. I, mean, it's, I don't know, maybe it's not the entire library. I think we have something like close to 400 different gels and we mimic those gels. And so we can say, all right, you're going to take a base of 3,200 or 5,600, and then you can apply any of these gels that you want. And now you don't ever have to gel a light again. Or I might have to intermix a light with other light fixtures, and I might need to make my light less efficient. You know, I, I might need to detune it, if you will. So I can, I can imitate a cool white fluorescent lamp 
in an office space and so that I can fill in, you know, with, with the background lights or maybe I have uh, high temperature sodium lights on the street at night or something. And so that I want to go and emulate that look for someone, you know, walking through an alley or something. Well, I can just, I have that built into the thing. I have all these things built in. And then if you really want, then I've got another control where it literally, ha it's like a bar graph and it's your six different color channels. And I can just tune those to my heart's content. I can actually come up with colors that I couldn't create otherwise <laughs> or outside, you know, any other kind of light source. But I, I can do that if I want. 99% of the time, maybe 95% of the time, I'm going to dial in my color temperature and then maybe I'll adjust green magenta touch. And, you know, and that gets me that perfect light that I really want to see. But I do have this fine tune ability by not having any white LEDs at all. Not trying to do everything with a single LED. Like, all right, I'm just going to chop the spectrum into zones. I'm going to divide it out between different colors and then cover the range that way far more accurately within each part. And I mean, ProLight as a company is pretty new uh, and relatively unknown, but it, it's really interesting to see. I mean, I've been, you know, I've had the Orion and the Orion FS, so it was really interesting to see the evolution of the light. So there's, there's obviously a lot to come from ProLight as a company. Well, yes, we have plants. <laughs> it's something where, you know, the philosophy of the company comes from our founder, who really was like, I, you know, I see the issue of the generating of, you know, full spectrum, proper spectrum of light, there's there's ways that are better than what was being done and that's what he really wanted to to address it from that level all right well let's deliver excellent color control and fidelity uh in in our light source and then listen to our clients to try and you know make the type of fixture that goes around it with various controls whether it be software controls or physical hardware things whatever it is that we want to, you know, take that what is that light engine technology, the hyperlight color engine uh, that is at the heart of the light, you know, to deliver that that beautiful color and color control, and then wrap it in a different type of fixture that would give you various controls to give you the tools that you want to use. And so the Orion 300 FS is the first uh, to, you know, in in what it will be a family of products designed to, you know, really answer the needs of, uh, of what people want out of their lights. Well, uh, you know, and I can attest to that having actually used it in real life. It's, you know, great. It's become one of my go-to lights, I have to say. Um, Mitch, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about our products. And that's it for another episode. My thanks to Mitch for taking the time to join me. I'll be back shortly. In the meantime, if you have any comments, find us on Facebook or Twitter. Thanks for listening and goodbye.